0: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN.
1: Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. Derek Johnson, along with Lane Gillespie and uh, Zach Boyer, is going to join the show in about 15 minutes. And right now, the LJ World voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, at the top of the five o'clock hour. We've got. A fun-filled show on today's edition of RCST. But, uh, Friday fun week. day. That's right. It is a Friday fun day. And in seven Friday fun days, we'll be on KU football's first game of the season. Um, we did this last week with eight weeks. But, you know, seven, uh, it's just a, a good number for football. That's right. the number for a touchdown, an extra point, right? Um, so I have some questions pertaining to the number seven as we get seven weeks away from the uh, season opener against Tennessee Tech for KU Football, which you can hear right here on KLWN as well as their sister station, 105.9 KISS. Um, Seven is also the number of Jalen Daniels' touchdown passes last season. Now, that obviously came over a a three-game set, but funny enough, he actually had more passing touchdowns in the three games than Jason Bean had in the first nine games. Interesting. Now, Bean had uh, some rushing touchdowns as well, but... Yeah, that, that's how good Jalen Daniels was over the last three weeks and also how, you know, Jason Bean had a lot of good flashes, but there were inconsistencies over the course of the season. Um, I would expect there to be a lot more touchdown passes from yeah. Jalen Daniels this <laughs> uh, this season. That is if he is QB1, which I think we're all assuming he kind of is, but um, Lance Leipold has not officially named him QB1. Here's him kind of talking about that at Big 12 Media Days.
0: I jokingly say I haven't named Devin Neal the running back starting running back either so it's something there and I think your question is very good and very valid but I think it also goes back to um, my previous answer a little bit is is embracing competition and and doing things. Um, I think our program knows. I think Jason Bean understands his role and where it's at right now. Jason Bean is, I thought, had a very good spring and, and took steps as well. And, and he will uh, continue to get better as well. Um, but uh, we know right now where, where Jalen is and what we expect to, you know, him to do in August and as we get ready for game one. Um, you know, and I, As I answer those things in, in a very vague way, I, I still say a year ago if I was sitting here in front of you, I, I wouldn't have known because I hadn't seen anyone really throw a pass. So, again, to know where we are at the quarterback position in 2022 in July versus last year, it's night and day difference, and I know we'll be able to to take advantage of that. Okay, so pretty much,
1: you know, we want everything to be a competition, and this is something we're going to talk with Zach Boyer on. He just wrote a piece in the LJ World and the KUSports.com about, you know, KU wanting more competition. Lance Leipold. Uh, wanting more competition, and Kenny Logan kind of echoing that over the course of of media days. So from that standpoint, you're not gonna, you know, bang the drum for we need competition. We need competition. Hey, you're the starting quarterback. There is no competition there, right? Um, but at the same point in time, it feels like one of those like like the joke he made. Well, I haven't even told right. Devin Neal he's the starting quarterback. <laughs> that kind of comment makes you think that yeah, like there is a a ninety percent chance that Jalen Daniels is going to be the starter for Week One of the season. And again, like this is something that you looked up yesterday for me. Montel Kozart was the last KU quarterback to even go down to Big Twelve Media Days. Right. So I mean the fact that he's even going down there is obviously very indicative of how they view him, both in terms of the locker room, his leadership ability and his play on the field. So I, I'm kind of under the assumption that he is that guy. Um as we've talked about before, we haven't seen a lot of seasons where there's just been one Q B for for KU, but this is a different staff, and, and that's been the case for Lance Leipold and his staff when he was at Buffalo, that they pretty much stuck with one guy. And and last year, they probably were going to stick with one guy if not for the injury to uh, Jason Bean. So uh, I'm curious, if, if Jalen Daniels, if I tell you that he's going to play all 12 games, because that's you know uh, changes things, certainly. You never know what's going to happen with injury or whatnot, which you hope doesn't happen. But um, if I told you Jalen Daniels will play every game in the regular season, what do you think would be the proper number to set it at for, like, over-under passing TDs? Well, I'm just trying to think, because the last, you know, full
2: quarterback that played for all 12 games was Carter Stanley. Yeah, he had, he had 24. He had 24. Um, should we set a number a little bit higher than that? Do we want to go over-under
1: <sighs> 27? Right? I mean, because, again, like, if we if we just base it on the, the history of KU football, it's not great, because it's Carter Stanley at 24, and then it's everyone else at, like, 13 or below, right. <laughs> including last year. If you combine Jason being a Jalen Daniels, it's 13. So that would tell me that maybe we aim lower because of the history. Okay. But but you're right, though. But based on the pace that he showed last year and based on if you want to be a competent football team, I think you need to at least aim for the Carter Stanley touchdowns. I I guess let's just put it at Carter Stanley. 24, okay. uh, whatever, 24, like over under. Should we do uh, 24 and a half? Yeah, that's fine. 24 Perfect. and a half. So there's 24 not a and would you take the over? or Would you take the under? I,
2: ooh, it's just the thing is there are so many playmakers on this team that could score any which way. But I'm gonna hit the over on this one. I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna hit the over, but only by a slim margin though. I don't think he'll go like a no, I don't think he'll go crazy like number like thirty or thirty-five or something like that. But and I think that's because there are a lot of lethal pieces on this team. But I think Jalen will. Uh, Do well enough to be QB1, of course, but not only that, a really good quarterback to give KU. Uh, mm, I'm trying not to be too optimistic about how many wins KU could get uh, this upcoming season, but he's going to be the guy to look for. So, yeah, Uh, I say over by slim margin,
1: though. Well, it's like if 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 I told you Jalen Daniels is gonna have like thirty passing touchdowns, it's hard to see the team only winning three games. Like at that point, yeah, you probably are a four, five, six win team or something. Well,
2: that's the thing, and that's that's what I'm you know that's what I'm trying to put in my head. But I'm also trying to think about you know the rushing touchdowns uh, that mm-hmm. will happen. Not not only just by Jalen, mind you, because he could have a few here and there. You're also gonna have key running backs like Kai Thomas, Devin Neal. Heck, Daniel Highshot will mm-hmm. get one or two in there.
1: Yeah, that's what it is for me that I think they're going to be so reliant on the run that I would take the under on it. I think okay. I I'm kind of envisioning him closer to like if he has 20 touchdowns to, you know, eight interceptions or something like that. I mean, that would be, you know, a, a really good gear from from KU quarterback perspectives. Um the only thing I'm thinking is that the uh,
2: I, I think the core of the defensive line and the linebackers in the Big 12 is a lot better than the defensive backs. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking you know, I wouldn't say air raid offense but still get some deep shots in there and I think Jalen will contribute in a big way like that.
1: So I'm looking back to some past Buffalo years just out of reference here. Uh, 2020 was the shortened season so it's hard to totally tell. Um, 2019, Kyle Van Treese was the quarterback most of the way. He only had eight of them. But mm those were teams that more relied on the run, which this team might, so maybe we should be looking closer to 15 to 20 range. But then if you go back, like, 2018, Tyree Jackson had 28 of them. Okay. Um, 2017, Tyree Jackson only had 12, though, but he was hurt for a good majority of the season. If you combine him with the backup, Drew Anderson, they had 22. So it's, it's just kind of all over the board. That doesn't right. really give me any answers. Um, But, yeah, I think you should expect, like, For you to be successful this year, I'll put it this way, regardless of what happens, for you to be successful, which would mean, you know, possibly winning four games or more, I think you need at least 20 of them from Jalen Daniels. How about this question? Seven is also the number of receptions Devin Neal had last year. Uh, This isn't really even a question. This is just something that needs to go up. Overall, KU running backs had just 17 catches over the course of the season. And I mean, when you look at how talented that running back room is, Obviously, the the running game is going to be the staple of the offense and the wide zone that we always hear about. Um, But if you want to get this talented running back room as many touches as they need to be successful, to make this team successful, there's got to be a lot more than 17 catches out of that running back room.
2: Well, I think there are going to be a lot more than 17, just given how deep the running back talent actually is. And I talked about this a bit in the running back deep dive that we had a few days ago. It was that this team is so deep when it comes to the running back spot it's kind of hard just to make this guy running back one and running back two and you know have them be happy with the amount of rushes that they get. So it's possible they're going to put one or two in sort of a receiving running back role, whether that be Kai Thomas or Tory Lachlan or something like that, because I see Devin Neal being running back one. So if you put in possibly Kai Thomas as the receiving running back, they're going to be a lot more than 17. And not only that, but that's going to contribute in a huge way. Like, let's say maybe get him in the flats or up the middle on a short pass or maybe a slip screen or something like that. I think with the way that Kai Thomas performed in Minnesota, I think with the receiving running back role, and I'm not saying that he's going to actually have it, but I'm just I'm just speculating that if he is put in that role, I think he will succeed time and again. So I think they're going to be a lot more than 17, and I think that having Kai Thomas and Tory Lachlan in the backfield is really going
1: to help out. Yeah, I agree, and they need a lot more to be successful. There's some questions in the receiver room, so that should help. The last thing we got about 15 seconds before we get to a uh, open update here, but uh, number seven is the amount of missed kicks by KU last season. Six field goals missed, PAT. They gotta sure that up. How About Grant Glasgow, walk on coming in from LHS. I want to see it happen uh, as a Me freshman. Me too. All right, uh, we're gonna take a timeout, and Zach Boyer will join us next. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back into to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Uh 20 past the hour here and joined by Zach Boyer of the LJ World and KUSports.com. Zach was just down in Dallas for Big 12 Football Media Days with KU and all of the other Big 12 teams. And Zach just wrote a, a really good piece at com about, you know, the level of competition increasing for KU. and And I think... The position that really sticks out to me is the running back spot there with so much talent, whether it's been guys coming back or, or transfers they've brought in. Um, and we've had the conversation many times on here at the same point in time, like, how do you keep everyone happy with touches in that room? But But just taking that position as an example for the whole team with increased competition and everything, it feels like the coaching staff is basically saying, you know, the best will play competition is good for the program and it seems just like they're comp, uh, accomplishing that, right, Zach?
3: Yeah, Derek. And I think there is so much nuance to that whole discussion whether it's the running backs or the safeties or anybody else that makes it a really fascinating topic of conversation. You know, as, as I was writing yesterday, I was thinking through things and I'm not I don't like the whole idea of the whole cliche about culture and team building and whatever, but there seems to be something substantive among that team and that they do believe things are on the upswing. And when you mention things like the running backs, you know, they needed experience, right? They needed guys who could step in if, if, and potentially when because he's a running back, Devin Neal gets hurt and, you know, they find guys in Sebian Morrison from Nebraska and Kai Thomas from Minnesota who can do those things and more. And, you know, I think as you look at this whole competition thing, Look, it's a matter of personal pride. Right. And this is what I specifically asked Devin Neal the other day. I said, how do you put your pride aside when you've got other guys who are classmates? They're going to be redshirt sophomores. He'll be a sophomore who are going to be competing with you for the job. And he said, look, it's not really like that. We get along really well. We have different styles. We have different strengths. There will be opportunities for us to all get the ball. It's not a matter of pride. So they do recognize that having those other people, whether it be at the position, on the team, whatever it is, competing with them will make them all better. And and as we're obviously well aware, they do need to get better.
1: Yeah, and I think the running back one, as much as I've kind of talked about, you know, how do they make that that work and everyone happy it's one thing to talk about it now in the off season but like what if you get into the season and you're only getting 12 carries and you wish you were getting 20 or something like that it, it is a little easier to to come up with because of some of the things that Devin Neal talked about where it's like okay well this is the situation you're best at and we can play you here and we can get you some catches and all purpose yards and and it's just easier to rotate guys at running back because there's injuries guys get tired things like that as opposed to some other positions Um, is there another position group outside of the running back that you're most interested by with the level of competition that's there and with what they've brought in, whether it's been, you know, recruits, guys, improving transfers, whatever it is that you're most curious to see how things kind of play out?
3: Well, yeah. And I think, I think both of those groups, I'm going to kind of split my answer here, Derek, Mm -hmm. is going to be on defense because I think the linebacker situation is interesting because they were so, rough last year right they've added so many guys at the position and you're probably going to look at a starting three that's going to look different than the starting three last year because those three guys are going to be incoming transfers and then it's the secondary because the secondary has been completely revamped and you know no no discredit to the guys who formed the secondary last season but they were on the whole they were young right So I think those are two situations that are worth watching. And I think one of the fascinating aspects of that does kind of touch on what we just talked about is that level of internal competition, right? You had three safeties, especially uh, in OJ Burroughs, uh, Jason Gilliam, and Edwin White-Schultz, who were working throughout the spring practice session as the starting uh, safety alongside Kenny Logan Jr. And those three guys now witness over the last couple months after spring practice ended, three guys come in at safety who are going to push them for playing time and probably take away their playing time. Um, Marvin Grant from Purdue clear cut among those guys, a 13 game starter last year. um, One of the big Ten's top tacklers at the position. So um, that I think is going to be something worth watching. And look, I mean, you're going to, you're going to watch this team and you're going to see a different situation than you did last year. That's going to look completely different in that backfield. And they're really pleased with that, uh, that changeover that
1: they've had. Yeah, it certainly uh, seemed like, you know, I, I saw Lance Leipold mentioning some of the transfers, and I, it almost sounded like he was kind of surprised that Marvin Grant ended up hitting the portal and, and that they were able to scoop him up. Um, but I, I, So I guess, you know, the the one flip side to the competition question, and, and this isn't like something that, you know, at the end of the day, you're not just going to, you know, uh, I don't know, bend over for, you know, whatever to happen or bend the knee or whatever for, you know, something to happen in terms of being like, well, we, this is the better player, but, you know, we want to keep that guy around, so we have to play him, although there is a bit of that kind of politicking that has to occur in, in college athletics when you want to keep guys around, but I guess the one worry with, with the competition thing is that, you know, sometimes we can see that in this day and age lead to guys, um, you know, leaving in the transfer portal by because they lose out on the position battle and there's too much competition for them and they leave away, and obviously for KU being in a position where, you know, they want as much competition and, and they're trying to still build up the depth and everything, that would be more monumental to have losses. And we haven't seen any of those on the too deep for this KU's team, so, so it hasn't really come into play yet. But is that something that, you know, KU might just have to deal with as, as kind of a, a counterpoint to, to the mass amount of competition, even though, like, again, you want the competition?
3: No, uh, you're 100% correct, Derek. That's exactly a concern, right? It's, a, it's an era we live in now of instant gratification where, especially with NCAA regulations, guys can leave and find themselves at a new school ASAP and be playing the next season. So that's absolutely a concern. And, and Lance Leipold, somebody had asked him about that specific fact. Uh, at one point on Wednesday, and he said it, it is difficult to balance. But you know, I think one of the things that he pointed to, and, and not that it's a consolation for any of these guys who are in that position, some of the younger guys who are being replaced, is what they might not have, what they might now have is the opportunity to redshirt. You play in your four games, they'll pick your four games, you'll play in those games, and then you can take the redshirt and preserve the extra year on the back end. So for some of those younger guys, talking about sophomores who played pretty strongly last season as freshmen, maybe even a year or two beyond that. You'll now have the opportunity to keep playing, keep developing, remain in the system, take a seat now, let the older guys take control for a year or two, and then get those years in the back end. So the roster permutations, how they work out, egos, it all is fascinating, and it's not going to be easy to manage all that stuff. And that's That's also the position they were in back at the end of the spring, right, where they lost 11 guys because those 11 guys were basically told after the spring game, look, you're probably not going to play that much. You know, we'll do whatever with that, yes, you may, and they all chose to leave. So it's going to be hard to keep everybody happy, but that's always been the case throughout any team competition. Going back to, you know, you and I, we were playing stuff as kids, and, and you know how much it can be hard to not be the, uh, on the court or on the field as much as you want. That's never going to change. But, but this now with these dynamics is different, and, and Leipold thinks that there are ways to help mitigate some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely interesting to me at the quarterback position because that's definitely one we see where it's like if a guy loses out on the starting job, he's gone. And I know Lance Leipold is not um, officially deemed Jalen Daniels or anyone QB1 made the joke that we played the clip earlier about, you know, well, technically I haven't even named uh, Devin Neal running back one, but I feel like everything is kind of pointing arrows to Jalen eventually being that guy. Um, And if that's the case... You know, it, it, what happens with Jason Bean? What is his role? Is he used in another role like at, you know, running back or at receiver? Do we see a certain package for him as like a running quarterback to come out there and be a change of pace? What are kind of your thoughts on, on Jason Bean's role? Um, do you, th- you know, kind of envision him playing a significant role on this year's team?
3: It is an interesting question, right, Derek? I mean, all signs obviously point to Jalen Daniels being the guy. He's not invited to an event like that in the last few days by not being the starting quarterback, right? And so it's mm-hmm. it's the circumstantial evidence is there. With Bean, you know, Leipold said that, that Bean had been told what his role is going to be, and he has accepted his role, and he's continued to get better. I think there are ways to get him on the field and to use his speed that will – hurt defenses, right? I mean, it's pretty clear from watching him play and knowing what he can do. What is a concern is the depth at quarterback. They've got Ben Easers and they've got Ethan Vasco who's a true freshman and that's it behind these guys really in terms of scholarship players. So if something were to happen to Jalen Daniels and Jason Beans not taking reps as a quarterback, are you going to turn to an unproven guy and, and go that route? I mean, it's, a, it's, an, it's an odd dynamic, right? They didn't really add anybody at the position who had the experience. It was one of the only positions they didn't touch in the offseason because they felt good enough with what they have. So what I think is clear is, as Leipold has said and Kodal Nikki has said, the offensive coordinator, they will get the best players on the field and find a way to use them. They've done that in the past. They will continue to do that. They're kind of offensive guru, tinkering kind of people. So if Jason Bean can contribute in a way that's not as a quarterback, I think it's possible. They just have to make sure that it's the right decision given the rest of what's going on at the position.
2: And you know, Zach, I've kind of been curious on how they could possibly use Jason Bean uh, as a prominent role. I've, I personally thought they could kind of use him kind of like a carry Meyer where he could switch to a wide receiver. Do you think that that's a possible option or what other way do you think there is that he could be really useful?
3: Yeah, I think that's I think that's certainly possible, right? Just a guy who can stretch the field and take the lid off the defense, and if not pose a threat as a decoy, at least pose a threat as an actual receiver. But I don't. I think we're we're kind of getting away. Uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. I think these are all kind of you know schematic Madden type things that we think are fun to think about. I, I don't know that it's necessarily crossed their minds. I'm sure it has, but. Um, I do think there's a role for him like that that could be out there. I think it's just a matter of figuring out exactly if it's the safest play. Because, I mean, look, what if he gets hurt doing something like that, right? You know, right. He's, he's fast. He's not, you know, can he take a hit? Can he take a crushing blow? If he does, now you're in the same situation that you'd be without, if you are without Jalen. If you're without Jalen and that happens, then what, right? Uh, so I think that if they had another quarterback, somebody who was proven, somebody who was a little bit older, they could maybe experiment more. I don't think they're really keen to go that route, but look, I mean, camp's going to begin in two weeks, and we'll start to see some of that stuff then and figure out whether or not that's a realistic possibility.
1: We're talking with Zach Boyer of the LJ World, KUSports.com. Uh, overall, outside of the, the competition stuff, whether it was from another coach, whether it was hearing from Brett Yormark for the first time, uh, talking with Travis Goff, or someone from KU's camp, what was the, I don't know, most pertinent piece of information or biggest theme for you or biggest comment uh, that you kind of took on from spending the time in Dallas? Hey,
3: yeah, I think it's, it's you know, topics one, two, three, and four are the realignment question. And that all ties into the new commissioner, Brett Yormark, and that all ties into Kansas' future and all those kinds of things. And I think what is, uh, it's interesting and it's obvious um, it is basically Travis Goff, the athletic director maintaining that you know he is going to be loyal to the Big 12 he is positioning himself to be a successful uh, school and athletic department within the Big 12 and committed to making that work and One of the interesting things that came up from so many coaches who were asked about it is, unless you're Steve Sarkeesian or Brent Venables, obviously, they're committed to making the Big 12 work, and they want the Big 12 to work. Um, and so that commitment to the conference's ability to survive and thrive is certainly there. So uh, those decisions are made, obviously, beyond football coaches and beyond even athletic directors. They come at a university president and chancellor level, and it's not always as straightforward as it might be. But, you know, you, and you're not also obviously going to hear anybody say anything less. But um, the fact that they were so uh, vocal about beating the drum for the success of the Big 12 and trying to position it as the third conference. Uh, going into the, the era of the Super Conferences. Um, I think was notable just because um, everybody you know is going to be looking to leave, and, and if they're offered one of those spots, they're going to take it. Um, but they just seemed very much loyal and believing in the direction of the conference and what it will be under new Commissioner Brett Yormark.
1: Yeah, very uh, night and day from last year, and um, obviously you don't expect Brett Yormark to come out and just say that, yeah, you know, we we were just talking with Colorado, or we were just talking with Arizona Arizona State or whatever last night, but was there kind of an overwhelming sense from from just being down there and around other you know media people, whether it was from a national landscape in the Big Twelve or, or locally or whatnot, that you know uh, there is going to be some sort of expectation of uh, expansion in the conference?
3: Well, I, I think the direct finger at that it comes from Yarmark himself when, you know, not a couple minutes into his opening remarks, he mentioned that the Big 12 was open for business, and I'm sure you and everybody has seen that line over and over again It's probably because he said it about a half dozen times within a six-minute time frame there, but um, you know, he, he doesn't mean specifically realignment and adding members he means uh, innovative ways for uh, sponsorships and, and marketing opportunities and whatnot, he wants to position the Big 12 at kind of the cutting edge of the modern media landscape and the modern landscape of college athletics but um, it's hard to not look beyond him saying that and thinking that he's meaning, look, we're, 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 we're going to do what we can uh, to get some new blood in here and do uh, whatever it will take to make the Big 12 survive. Um, so I think that is certainly you know an idea that um, if you're looking at, whether it be the, the Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah faction that's been reported out there and it's been kind of uh, uh, pointed to as the, the potential expansion candidates, um, or whatever else it might be, you know, they are going to be aggressive. Brett is going to be aggressive. He's a New York dealmaker who has been in the entertainment industry for the past several years. He knows what it takes to be aggressive and get things done and what happens when you get left behind. So, uh, that idea that they are not going that and that they're going to do what they can to succeed, uh, among the big 12 is certainly uh, crucial to, uh, I think everything they're going to try to build there. um, and, and so it wouldn't surprise me one bit if that's the, the step that they eventually try to take uh, once he gets a little more comfortable in that seat.
1: Uh, as far as, you know, from other coaches or other media members or whatnot, did you get any sort of sense about, you know, the the view that other schools kind of viewed KU at right now as Lance Leipold enters year two?
3: Yeah, they're certainly optimistic, and I think um, that's I think scary for a lot of guys. You know, Matt Campbell talked a little bit about this, and I asked him about you know working with Lance Leipold in the MAC and and how that relationship and and coaching against him while he was at Toledo and Leipold was at Buffalo, um, and how much he's seen kind of the ability to turn that program like that around, and so. Campbell recognizes uh, the light pole in Kansas could be a a formidable foe here in the future. And, you know, you have to remember, Kansas was picked last by the media poll, which is not a surprise given everything. Right. Um, But that's, you know, that's the media poll. That's that's people who are a little bit more frank. And I think when you look at uh, what Campbell said, you know, you look at uh, uh, guys from Texas was asked about it quite a bit. Right. The Texas representatives, especially after the game last year, they know what Kansas can do. Um, so they're not they're not going to take these guys lightly, especially after the transfers that they've added, the quality of players that they've added. Um, and I think that you know there's there's some chance here that um, these guys could make some noise because there are coaches who are a little bit worried about the threat that Kansas could provide, not necessarily maybe right now, but certainly going into the next couple of years.
1: He is Zach Boyer. You can find all his work in the LJ World and at KUSports.com. Zach, I appreciate the time as always, man.
3: Yeah, thank you, Derek. Appreciate it. Absolutely.
1: That was Zach Boyer of the LJ world. Again, you can check out all his work covering those big 12 media days over at KU with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson here. Uh, we're going to take a timeout in a few minutes here and uh, get to a break. And then we'll get to another open update coming up here in the three o'clock hour. Um, I think all that stuff is really interesting that we talked about. There with Zach, um, you know, you think back to the competition stuff and there really is a theme. Like, the more you think about it, you go position by position. Quarterback, you have the two guys who started last year. You bring in a, a freshman and Ethan Vasco. Ben Easters comes off of a redshirt year as, as a quarterback. Running back, we know what they brought in. Uh, tight end room, we discussed that yesterday. Like, there are a lot of viable options there for KU. The linebackers, they bring in those three transfers and guys returning at the, the secondary. It seems like every week we're seeing a new – Guy in the secondary, whether right. it's a transfer player or whatever, <laughs> like committing to the team. Um I have a little more questions about maybe the the depth of the offensive line. Like the starting offensive line seems pretty set. The depth of the offensive line and maybe the receiver room and maybe the defensive line in terms of the depth. Again, it feels like maybe you have some some good candidates, candidates at the D line, maybe even in the in the full two deep, but uh maybe some depth questions there as well. So there's still questions overall, but it seems like the 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 staff and everything is has done a pretty good job at at uh, kind of overturning the roster and allowing for that competition to happen.
2: Yeah, you're right. And Zach made some very good points though, and it's that yeah, even though these guys have a lot of depth and there are a lot of talent options that go out there, how can you incorporate that at the same while at the same time making everybody happy uh, with getting the right role? Because mm-hmm. there are so many gosh darn talented players on this team. But you could only use 11 on offense and 11 on defense in one play. So that's going to raise a lot of questions as we go into camp in a couple of weeks, as practices start in about a month, something like that. And then as we get into week one against Tennessee Tech, we're going to have a lot of questions and hopefully a lot of answers sooner rather than later on how they can really utilize every possible person imaginable. while of course, having 11 guys on all at one point mm-hmm.
1: he is lane gillespie i am Derek johnson this is rock chalk sports talk on fm 1017 1320 klwn we're going to take a time out then your open update and then we'll be back after that we are brought to you by home field apparel home field a premium collegiate apparel brand out of indianapolis is incredibly comfortable officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos mascots and moments the kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel including t-shirts hoodies crewnecks and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear plus they re- look really cool and they just released well not just but after the national championship they released a national championship shirt use the code rock chalk sports talk that's rock chalk sports talk all one word and you'll get 15 15 off your first order that's right Code RockShock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk. We're going to be joined by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, coming up at the top of the five o'clock hour. But uh, we got a couple fun segments to get to here in this hour. We're gonna have fast lane. Coming up at about 4.40. Right now, we get into our sports stock market here. The stock market officially closed for the week. I guess, I don't know why I call it sports stock market, because there's non-sports things on here as well. But, um, you know, we're going to give you an idea of what's up, what's down. Well, I mean, I mean, sports stock market mostly sounds sports. a lot better than, okay, the mostly sports stock market. Yeah. There we go. Right? <laughs> Maybe that's what we should call it. Because if I call it, like, just stock market, people are going to, you know, when I post the show rundown on Twitter. People are going to be right. like, why are you talking about the stock market? Um, Alright, do we have any music for this? I, I music for... think we do. Alright, cool. Let's do it. Uh, stocks up on me watching the Home Run Derby. What do you mean? Do you do you not normally watch it? Um, I watch pieces of it on most years. Last year, I'm not joking. I, I watched it for the first... I watched the first round last year, but I, I, I would go in and out because I hated last year how they did the It was like timed. So they, it was just rapid fire. And it was a horrible broadcast because basically what happened, it gave you a headache. It was like, guy swings, hits one. You have no idea if it's a home run or not. He's already swinging at the next one. And it just, it ruined the broadcast for me, to be completely honest. But honestly, in years past, like, I've watched some of the home run derby, haven't watched the whole thing. It'd be something that I, I it's on my sports bucket list that I want to go to. Right. Sit yeah, in the outfield, be so much fun. bring a glove, see how many uh, baseballs you can get out there. That would be really cool. Uh, the reason that the stock is up on me watching it this year, it's, you know, I I, I love me some Julio Rodriguez and, and some of the members that are in it. We could see if like Pete Alonso is just going to win again. Um, The guy that I'm most interested to see in this event. Is Albert Pujols. Heck yeah. So last year, the guy I was most interested to see and that I made sure to tune in to watch was Shohei Otani. Um, this year, it's Albert Pujols. He is in his final season. I I will say this. Like, you know, the average isn't always there for, for Albert, although he's, he's kind of crushing lefties this year. But the power is still there for him. Now Maybe right. it's not there from what it was 10 years ago. And that's the one thing. I don't know if it's there as consistently, right? Like, can he at an older age? Because again, with it being rapid fire, it's not just about you know how often you can hit home runs and how much strength and how much power you have. It's how much you, can you repeat it. And being in an older age, you wonder if he'll run out of gas a little sooner on that. But I think the the raw power is still there, and I, I'm very interested to see what he see uh, what he does. I kind of hope he wins as like a, a a send off for him. Yeah, I do too. I think that'll be a
2: ton of fun to so uh, I I I'll pro- I will definitely watch it this year. So Do you normally cool. watch it? Uh yeah, I didn't get a chance to last year, but uh yeah, I normally watch it.
1: Well, there's no royals in it, which is good because then ESPN just can't completely ignore them. <laughs> I I know that was a big thing last year. Um they had multiple broadcasts. They had like a a regular broadcast and, like, a StatCast broadcast. Now I remember the StatCast broadcast I thought was really good. The main broadcast, Salvador Perez is going, and they're just, like, doing an interview, talking about something else, like, the entire time that he was going. <laughs> that fired up a lot of Kansas City Royals fans. Uh, kind of deservedly so. But no Royals player in this year to feel like uh, they've been slighted. Okay, stock has crashed. Mm. Crashed. We've never had it crash um, on the Chicago Bears receiving core. Yeah. (laughs) It's very not good. (laughs) Um, So they traded for Nikhil Harry, former first-round pick of the New England Patriots, never really worked out with the Pats. I think he had like 200 receiving yards over the course of his his time with New England. Uh, You know, you take a flyer on the guy, former first-round pick, he gave up like a seventh round pick. Uh, There's nothing wrong with doing that. But it's just a reminder for everyone that like oh they traded for Nikhil Harry let's look at their receiver depth oh my <laughs> um this is their this is their so this is on our lads what they're projecting to be their uh starting receiver core right now Byron Pringle who they signed from the Chiefs you know fine receiver but yeah if we're talking about him as like your number 1 or number 2 I I, I don't know how that's going to work out for them uh Darnell Mooney who actually was pretty good last year but again if Darnell Mooney is your number 1 that's a problem Vilas Jones Jr., who you used the draft pick on, and on top of that, he's like a 24, 25-year-old rookie, but, you know, that's their decision. Uh, Equinemius St. Brown, Nikhil Harry, Daz Newsome, Dante Pettis, Tajay Sharp, Chris Finke, Isaiah Coulter, Insimbo Webster, David Moore, and Kevin Shaw. Those are the (laughs) Chicago Bears receivers. Oh, goodness gracious. (laughs) I don't think I could. If you named, again, like I even just read him, if you named half the guys I just named, I still wouldn't know who they were.
2: (laughs) Right.
1: I mean, this is, (laughs) it's by far the worst receiving core in the NFL. It's one of the worst receiving cores I I think I've ever seen. Who who knows? Maybe, like I said, Darnell Mooney breaks out in this season, and, and maybe that changes how we view it a little bit. But you have a young rookie quarterback in Justin Fields. Yeah. And they have not built around him at all. No. It's uh, it's been kind of gross to say
2: the least, and I have a lot of friends who are Bears fans, and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry,
1: <laughs> I would be too. That is uh, one of the least entertaining teams out there. It again does not give you the best. Like, you drafted a used a first round pick on Justin Fields. Why would you not see what you got there? Right. And I get it. The current coach and the current GM were not the guys who drafted him, so. They're obviously not very tied to Justin Fields, and maybe that's the point here. Maybe they're they're like, hey, let's focus on something else. We're not going to set him up for success that way. If he does have success, like we've clearly proven that he is that good. Worst case scenario, if he doesn't, you know, we're fine with that because we want to go in a different direction at some point. But I would just think, with the the resources you invested into him, I mean, you used multiple first round picks to trade up and and get him. Mm-hmm. You would want to try to see what you got there and. and you know, put a supporting cast around him to actually know what you have, correct. But instead, that's the receiving core for them. Not great. No, not in the slightest. No. All right, uh, stock is up on Danny Ainge, almost acquiring stars in the future. This is a constant for Danny Ainge when he was in Boston that, you know, it seemed like every star that was on the trade block or got traded or went somewhere else or signed somewhere else, When Danny Ainge was the GM of the Celtics, it was like, ah, they tried, they were the runner up here. Like, you know, they offered all this for that guy, but they just couldn't get it done. Somebody else beat him out. Or they were they were the, you know, I know he ended up signing up here, signing here, but Boston made a real run at him and they almost had him, if not for him signing there. Like those were the stories that always came out. And I'm sure part of it was from Danny Ainge's camp. They would, you know, have leaks to to certain reporters to make themselves sound better. To the local media that it's like no he, he tried his best to get that star i know the fan base we're not happy we didn't get him but we tried our best there's nothing we could have done so that's where that kind of comes from but it happened more than like anyone in the nba and there's a running <laughs> joke that that was the case well now danny ainge is the general manager of the utah jazz or maybe that's not his title like vp or or whatever but you know, up yes in office or something he's in like charge that. There. yes um So that's the case for him, and obviously Rudy Gobert was just traded away, and you know they got a ton of draft picks, like five draft picks from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now they are being engaged on a possible Donovan Mitchell trade with the New York Knicks, which is interesting on itself from the Knicks' perspective because um, they have a bunch of picks to trade. I think they have up to eight tradable first-round picks coming up here in the future. They just went out and they signed Jalen Brunson, that would be an interesting backcourt with Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell, though. Clearly, that's not a backcourt that you're, like, picking ahead of, I don't know. Like, that team is still not better than the Celtics or the Bucks or, like, the Miami Heat where it's like, what's the purpose of this? But, you know, teach their own. Um, if they end up trading Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks, they're going to get a bunch of first-round picks on top of what they already have with the Rudy Gobert trade and what they just have for their own picks anyway. They're going to get a bunch of young players, obviously. They're going to have a bunch of flexibility and that's going to allow them to be in the running for any other future stars that come up on the market as far as, you know, being unhappy with where they're at or trying to make a trade for someone or trying to sign someone. They're going to have all this flexibility. They're going to have all this firepower to go out and get the guy. Now, will that actually happen? Probably not. Again, we go back to Boston. Boston always had like two, three first round picks. Think about all the picks they got from like the New Jersey Nets or, or... They were the New Jersey Nets at the time. Now the Brooklyn Nets um, as part of those trades. And that just kept giving them, like, firepower and everything. Um, But eventually they would just, like, draft a lot of those guys. So uh, I I guess, um, you know, that's something where he's going to have that same firepower, which is great, and it gives him options. But it feels like the same thing is going to happen. We're going to get to a point where, you know, oh, Utah was so close to acquiring this guy, but he went somewhere else. Yeah. So, I'm excited for that future joke. That was a uh, yeah. <laughs> long way of explaining that. Okay, uh stock is up on the Chiefs having new players in their ring of honor soon. Mitchell Schwartz officially announced his retirement, the uh, great Chiefs right tackle. It's part of the I don't Super know if Bowl you can team, hear, but I'm I'm applauding him. <laughs> I know we need, face, we need but... the uh we need the applause sound effect on this. Yeah, we do. I'll put you in charge of that. There you um, go. Mitchell Schwartz had four all-pro selections. Oddly enough, zero pro bowls. Yeah, which just speaks to the insanity of the voting system there. But he was all-pro four times. And he was he was money against some of the best pass rushers. The work that he always did against like Von Miller in the own division was always so critical for the Chiefs success, and he was amazing along the uh, Chief Super Bowl ride. No sacks allowed during the Chiefs Super Bowl season, played every snap on offense for them. He also had a super long uh bit of durability until the end when he did have the injuries but you know he had a this super long starting streak he won't be a first ballot NFL Hall of Famer he doesn't have the name uh, you know notoriety and um, usually the first ballot Hall of Famers like it's six or seven all pro selections, something like that he, I, I think he does have a chance of getting into the pro football Hall of Fame you think so at some point with four all pros like that is a very good amount Uh right you it, I think he might have had to play maybe a little bit longer to get that or maybe rack up another All-Pro in there to get there. But like, if you look at the guys of, who at least got close to that, four, five, six or so, All-Pros, a lot of them are in the Hall of Fame. I don't necessarily know if he will or not. It'll probably be a long ride if that happens. But for sure, to get into the Chiefs' ring of honor, he's going to get there.
2: I, I 100% agree. I mean, you even think about the... Uh, impact that he made on the Super Bowl winning team. Mm-hmm. What would you say? No sacks? Yeah, loud? no sacks allowed yeah.
1: on the, uh, what was that, 2019? Yep. I guess it would have been 2020 Super Bowl, but the 19 team, does that sound right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz tip my cap team, sir. Yes, sir. Alright, uh, stock is up on not getting tired of the same thing because alleged New York City serial shoplifter Lorenzo McLucas, which that's a great name, yeah. he <laughs> was busted um, for shoplifting for the 129th time just weeks after he was released due to bail reform. Oh my lord. Uh, how long, how many
2: times until you just put him away for a really long period of time? Well, he's just sm- stealing like
1: small amounts. So I don't okay. know. <laughs> That's I don't fair. know how that works. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You would think at this point, but okay, here here's the story. Uh he was stopped at a Target With Vaseline and lotions worth $80 on him. So this isn't like him stealing like a, you know, TV or something like that, which (laughs) would be very difficult to steal. He already had more than 120 busts under his belt. He was also slapped with charges for six other thefts that took place between May 6th and June 9th. I mean, this guy's just a kleptomaniac. (laughs) He obviously like loves doing this. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he likes. Sir, being you're under. Yeah, yeah. I understand. I've <laughs> I've been through this before. How do
2: you even get excited about doing that over and right? over and over again? <laughs>
1: yeah, this comes just weeks after the alleged alleged serial shoplifter notched his 122nd arrest for allegedly stealing from the cosmetics counter um, at some shop in in New York, um, and then he was released on his own reconnaissance. His uh, own reconnaissance. I don't know. The cases McLucas was charged in Wednesday include a June 4th incident where he allegedly stole $510 worth of goods from another Target. Interesting. Um, A June 25th caper where $481 worth of goods were stolen from an East Village Target. And another episode last week at that Target where he robbed $210 worth of hairspray and makeup. So he's just like stealing from Target How do you
2: constantly get away with it? Because they have all those like scanners or monitors or things that's... That's near the front Obviously door that he's always goes away with it. Well, okay, yeah, but how does he? Ex- Here's the thing is he just mm-hmm. totally expecting it to happen at one point where they just
1: don't go off, or is he actually enjoying getting arrested over and over? I think again? he enjoys the whole process. I think so. <laughs> he has previously been convicted on two felonies and 29 misdemeanors. He also has missed 20 court appearances. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, this guy's clearly just addicted to it. But you know what? If he's not hurting anyone, which I don't know, he might have based on the previous record. Uh, but if he's not hurting anyone and just stealing stuff from Target, he's getting caught anyway. If that's his true love, Love is love, man. Love is uh, love. If, again, he's not hurt judge. He just loves stealing stuff from Target. That's his thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is the sports stock market, and I guess some not sports stuff as well. The mostly, mostly sports, sports stock, stock market. market. Yeah. <laughs> he is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Shock Sports Stock on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depending on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card too. So just go to the website, click hometown deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, you shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. About 20 till 5, voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney is going to join us coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN with Lane Gillespie, Derek Johnson here. And it's Friday, another opportunity to get to our newest segment, The Fast Lane with Lane Gillespie.
2: Yeah, all right. Let's cue the music real quick. Let's get her started. So, first off, going to have the first three or four stats just based around the MLB. Mm -hmm. Uh, First off, Royals-based. You know, actual bright spots for them. Oh, they are good (laughs) stats. No, they actually are. This is per Dave Holtzman. Uh, Since the first MLB All-Star game in 1933, Bobby Witt Jr. is the first rookie ever to compile these stats prior to break. At least 15 doubles, at least 5 triples, at least 10 home runs, and at least 15 stolen bases. Mm -hmm. The first rookie since the All-Star game began almost a century ago. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, it, it does but yet he's not cool. an all-star. So that... I, I, it is... I mean, the I guess the only reason why um, they put, you know, all-star game up in 1933 just to give a bit of a time period. But still some pretty cool stats.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it does always crack me up when you get these, like, oh, we have these four categories, and if you hit all of them, and it's like some of this stuff is weird where it's like the triples, like, certainly eliminates a lot of guys. Like... Um, because you're gonna have a lot of power hitters who might have like you know 20 home runs or 15 home runs at the all-star break and might have the doubles or maybe they're they're home running still, but they don't have the triples but yeah that that's really cool like it shows the talent he's been in, and he's been on a tear over the course of the last month or so month plus of the season i mean if if the all-star break happened another month from now it would not be surprising if he was the royals all-star bid over andrew benintendi but he just started too slow and, and wasn't able to catch up to him. And, uh, yeah, that's that's cool little history there. Next
2: up, uh, speaking of the Royals. So, on Tuesday's game, catcher MJ Melendez had a leadoff triple. He is only the third catcher in MLB history to lead off a game with a triple. And the first time, since Craig Riggio did it back in 1991.
1: 30 years. 31 years, actually. Yeah, when I first saw this, I was... uh. I was like, "Who is Craig Riggio?" I was wondering if it was Craig Biggio. I was also thinking but there that there is too. someone named Craig Riggio. Yeah, it sounds like the knockoff version of him. Um, and it is possible that I could have read it wrong. No, 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 no. I, I mean, Craig Biggio. I don't. I don't know. I think he was an infielder, but not a catcher. Well, Craig Riggio did play, right? Um, so, just kind of interesting on its own. Nonetheless, uh, MJ Melendez. Having a triple, he he always surprises me when I see like this catcher. who Especially when you compare him to Salvador Perez, this big like bulky dude, and then MJ Melendez kind of like a shorter, thinner dude uh, who's playing catcher. Like he looks more like a hockey goalie nowadays than he does like an MLB catcher. Yeah. Um, so he's got a little speed there, and yeah, I mean I guess uh, that's the Royals' mo. We mentioned the five plus triples for Bobby Wood Jr. They're just they're just a triple team. You yeah. don't see a lot of triples nowadays. Next up, Rafael Devers. He now has 20 home runs before
2: the All Star break for the second straight season. He is the third Red Sox player, at least in recent history, to do it in consecutive seasons. The other two, Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz, some really good company. A
1: very good company. Um, Rafael Devers has been one of the more underrated young hitters. Like you hear Agreed. about the the great young hitters in the game, and it, you know he gets he gets All Star teams and stuff. So he's not like. He's not just like forgotten certainly but I mean this dude has been putting up great numbers and, and he's like 23 years old and so much so he's gonna have to be the leader of the team it sounds like Xander Bogarts is not gonna be back around for the Red Sox after this year it doesn't sound like uh, they've gotten uh, much movement on a possible contract between the two of those but he's kind of the, the pillar of the team he's just smashes the baseball left-handed uh, hitting third baseman and yeah I mean if he keeps this up like He's going to be a baseball Hall of Famer. He's going to be a, a continued all-star and everything. And that's a really good company to be in because oh, yeah. those guys were absolute beasts with Boston.
2: Speaking of home runs, this upcoming Monday is the home run derby. Mm-hmm. Last year, there were 309 total home runs. There It was at Coors Field, right? In Colorado.
1: Yes. Okay. So
2: so I'm surprised, surprised there weren't more. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a lot of distance. Mm-hmm. So if you add up all the distances from the home runs – it adds up to 26.28 miles, which is a marathon plus an extra 140, <laughs> 150 yards.
1: That's incredible. Um, You know, I, I think about you had the combination of things. You had the, as I mentioned earlier, like you had the fast paced nature of it where it was just go, go, go. It was yep. rapid fire. It was pitch, hit, pitch, hit, pitch, hit. And it wasn't great for the TV broadcast, in my opinion. Um, it, it was like whiplash on the TV broadcast going back and forth between the two, but it did lead to more home runs, and it did lead to some exciting finishes. Like, I'll give it that. Man, I I would like to think it'll be lower this year because it's in L.A., not Coors. The ball doesn't travel as far and everything. I would think maybe not, but I was also, like, ready for someone to hit one, like, 550 in Coors, which was just unexpected. Like, I shouldn't have had those expectations. I, I just wanted it to happen. Did one, did one even pass 500? I don't honestly remember. I, I think, if anything, one might have gotten, like, barely 500, okay. but it's hard to hit one 500 feet. Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, it's a little bit easier when you have thin air right. in, in Colorado. In course, I can attest, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being the voice of kids baseball last year when we went to the Air Force Academy, uh, which is in Colorado Springs, uh, there were a lot of home runs hit in two games. So, uh, last MLB won, uh the Baltimore Orioles. So, They started off the season with the lowest payroll in the MLB. You know, Baltimore's not the greatest market, especially the Orioles. Orioles? (laughs) Orioles.
1: They should rebrand to the (laughs) Orioles. That would be very cool. (laughs) Bought out.
2: Uh, But anyway, the Orioles, yikes. But they have now won 10 straight games. They're the first team since at least 1990 to win 10 straight games in a season despite entering opening day with the league's lowest payroll. They're just above 500 now, but they are still in last in the American League East, which is a tight spot between two through five. And then you have the Yankees, who are just running away with division.
1: Yeah, by the way, like the Yankees, they might be having the greatest first half of a season of all time. I know that sounds like hyperbole. Um, The Red Sox in 2018 broke the record for most wins in a first half with 66. The Yankees still have tonight, Saturday, Sunday... So they won't get there, but they can get close. They're at 62 right now. Wow. Unless they play a doubleheader between then. Um, so they're they're close to it. But the reason I say that, obviously they can't, they wouldn't break it. But if you add to the the note of it that not only are they doing it, that they're at least close to the record. And I'm not saying they're the greatest team of all time. I'm just saying having the greatest first half. You add to it that they are in a division where you play most of your games where every single team in the AL East is above 500 right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that's even possible. The Rays... Uh, Blue Jays, Red Sox are all possible playoff teams, and the way that the Orioles are playing, they're only a game and a half out of the playoffs at 45 and 44 due to this. So uh, crazy for the Yankees, but yeah, the the Orioles. It's a really cool story. I I don't love the fact of of like championing this idea that like hey, uh, you're cheap and you're doing well. Like no, I wish the owners would spend more on right. these teams. But it's it's a it's a cool story for the players themselves that they've turned this uh, thing into it. And, and there's so much credit. I think, to be had for Adley Rutschman. Adley Rutschman, the, uh, you know, top-ranked prospect and everything, comes up, he's a catcher, and, you know, you have certain guys who they are just able to create this aura around them. They are just able to bring this gravitational force and be leaders and be such a key pillar, and especially when you are a catcher. Like, a really good catcher who has leadership qualities, who can hit, who can really control a pitching staff all things that he can do has such a huge impact on the team and it's been really cool to see what type of impact he has had on the team since coming up. Struggled a little in the first week or two with him up and then he really got it going. They've got some really cool pieces going around. They moved the ballpark back and it's really helping some of the pitchers. Yeah. And how about Jorge Lopez, former mm-hmm. Kansas City Royal. Really struggled with the Royals as a starter. They moved him into a reliever role and he has been like a dominant closer so far of the season. I- I'm sure the Royals are like man, wish we could have had him back and, and just done what we did with Wade Davis because then we'd be having, you know, a really good uh, bullpen arm that we could possibly just have for the future or trade away at the deadline. But they've been a really cool story so far in the MLB.
2: Kind of sounds like another Jorge I know who had a pretty off offseason uh, with the Royals and then got traded, and then the best thing would have possibly happened, that being Jorge Soler. <laughs> yes, that is. Yeah. Um. So moving on, U.S. women's soccer. You know, they've been dominant over the past mm-hmm. Mm-hmm couple decades, yes. uh, winning multiple World Cups. Last night, at a 3-0 win against Costa Rica, marked the U.S. Women's National Team's 32nd straight shutout in Olympic and World Cup qualifying matches. So if you add up all of the game time, that is, this is game time, not like actual time, but game time, that's 49 hours and four minutes without allowing a goal. That's over two full
1: days of soccer. How is this even possible? (laughs) You would think that, like, some team would just, you know, fire off a shot from 25 yards away and it was just like over the course of 32 games, at least one perfect shot from 25 yards, or that, like, at some point they would make a mistake. Like, the goalie would just, you know, drop one through, or like a, a defender would just, you know, miss their mark on someone and someone would leak back. That speaks to not just how dominant they are, but how focused they are. And like, it takes another level. And I've heard different players from the team, like talk about this, about how, you know, we would take some of the games against lesser competition that we felt like we could beat easily. And we wouldn't just go into it feeling like, you know, uh, we shouldn't have a problem. Like we'll beat them easy. They would go into it and be like, envision we're playing for the World Cup Championship right now, yeah. even though we're up 7 <laughs> nothing on whatever team we're playing, and they would use that focus to carry over as basically practice into continuing the dominance. Right. Uh, so I'm sure that's what helps keep them here, but that that's stupid. That, that should not happen. <laughs> that's
2: one of the crazier statistics I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the British Open, or the Open. Yes. So, we talked about Tiger Woods. He uh, unfortunately missed the cut. Well, after round one. He was tied for 146. He ended a six over in the in the first round. After 18 holes, it was the worst position that he had ever been in at the Open, and the second worst in his entire career. When in the 2015 U.S. Open, the worst was him being tied seconds
1: That's tough. Yeah, I mentioned Tiger Woods, and, and just sad to see how it all went out. Um, I, I think... I don't know. I, I never like to count anyone out to begin with, and especially Tiger Woods with where he was. And, and it felt like we got to a point where it was like, oh, I don't know if he's ever going to win a major again. And then he did a couple years ago. It does feel like this is kind of the end of it to me. Yeah, it's just sad. Uh, speaking of the open. So Cameron Young
2: uh, was in the top spot after round one, finished eight under. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be the lowest opening score in a player's first open championship since
1: 1934. I mean, he is—he is really, really good, and yeah, he is a rookie on the tour. To have that kind of impact in your first appearance there, it—and he backed it up, uh, you know, today as well. He was three under. He's currently in second place um, at 11 under. Cameron Smith, another Cameron, who is also a rookie, um, put up an eight under today and went 300 yesterday so they've kind of mimicked each other they're mm-hmm. both named cameron and everything I, I, I
2: want a final playoff for the battle of the camerons i would
1: love it and then the loser is not allowed to go by the name cameron for the rest of the season <laughs> um that would be great you have lost the naming rights right <laughs> I should make that better or something but yeah no i mean golf is in is in a a good spot with a lot of young players but it, it's weird it's almost like you know in the past uh, golfers primes seem to be between like 30 and 40 years old now we're seeing these guys just come in right away when they're in their, their low 20s and, and hit their prime from like 20 to 30. It, yeah. It's just a lot That's different. Nuts. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on. 10 years ago today,
2: Gangnam Style was released. <laughs> no way. The song oh that gosh. hit every middle school and high school dance by store. <laughs> <laughs> I was in middle school when this first came out. And uh oh gosh. yeah, it every middle school dance every high school dance there had to be at least i mean a bunch of people just dancing when the song came on to this day gangnam style has 4.5 billion views on youtube now believe it or not it's the 11th most youtube uh most viewed youtube video i think it used to be number one like about like not long after it came out because it hit 1 billion fast but now it's 11th number one is baby shark which has 11 yeah, billion like, views. Oh, my gosh. How? <laughs> a lot of kids, man. I guess so. Um,
1: yeah, Gangnam Style. I remember, I, I think I was like a junior in high school or something like that. That's crazy, man. Um, I That was like the hit, but... There have been... It was also kind of annoying to hear it right. heard over and, over and over again. I actually have a list of other things in 2012 because this is like 10 years. That doesn't seem like that long ago. I know, right? The first Hunger Games movie came out. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Gossip Girl was yeah. uh, announced who it was. Yeah. Um, Wow, i this one, Call Me Maybe from Carly Rae yeah. Jepsen, was the song of the summer. Another annoying, another annoying yeah, song. Yeah, those were the two songs, Gangnam <laughs> Style and, and that. Um, oh, Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth, Hemsworth got engaged. Interesting. A lot of stuff happened. Uh, there's some weird ones on this list. Yeah. Harry Styles <laughs> went grocery shopping with Taylor Swift's mom. I don't Woo-hoo. know why that's on here, so I'm <laughs> done reading this list. But yeah, uh, makes me feel old. How about that for a headline? <laughs> All
2: right, last up. Today is National Orange Chicken Day. Mm. I gotta tell you, I love orange chicken. How could you not, right? And, uh, uh anytime I go to Panda Express, which it used to be all the time, not as much, you know, recently, but anytime I go, gotta get that double orange chicken with fried rice.
1: So my wife does the does the either she'll just get a bowl with one orange chicken, or on the occasion she does get the two entrees. She she does the the double orange chicken as well. I try not to fiend up that way. I do the one orange chicken. Um, part of it's because I always feel bad, you know, if I'm ordering there with my wife, and then you, you get two double orange chicken, right. it takes up the entire bowl, and then the people <laughs> yeah. behind me are waiting in line. Um, I mean,
2: to be fair, they put it in the biggest walk Oh, imaginable. I know. <laughs> I know. I shouldn't actually care about it. Like,
1: at the end of the day, if that's what people want, that's what people want. Um, orange chicken, delicious. Uh, if we did a, a top 10 ranking of of best Chinese foods, it might be number one. I would definitely put it towards the top. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, too, when you distinguish with, like, sesame chicken, orange chicken. mm, True. I love some, like, good mushu pork. I love hot and sour soup. Uh, Good noodle dish goes. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of great Chinese foods, but orange chicken seems to be... Like, it's hard to not like orange chicken is the thing. Well, how popular is orange chicken at Panda Express? Over 70
2: million pounds are served each year.
1: 70 million? 70.
2: Can you imagine just that poured in front of you? Yeah. 70 million pounds of orange chicken. Oh, my gosh. Served
1: in an entire year. It's delicious, though. It is. It really is. It really is. All right, that is uh, the Fast Lane. We'll slow it down. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join us next. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk, two hours down, one to go on FM 117, 1320 KLWN. Depending on it. Joined now on a Friday by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, I, I did want to get a quick question in, though, real quick before we get into the, the media day stuff, because this is the first time we've had you on since the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. And uh, I, I know that uh, you guys crossed the million plateau for all-time donations. I, I was just curious, is this is this the most you guys have raised in a given year? And And, you know, congratulations on another good event.
4: Well, thanks for bringing that up, Derek, and thank you for your presence, man. Not only giving of your time and talents on Thursday night by being our play-by-play voice, but then uh, raising the paddle very generously on Friday night, too. And so God bless you, brother. That was so kind and a, and a proud moment for me uh, as somebody who's a big fan of you and your career to, to see you giving in, in all facets, time, talents, and treasures. So thank you. But yeah, we, uh, we announced the total at 270000 and we've had a couple more checks come in that, that'll help us to bless additional kids. There's so much outpouring of generosity this year that I know we are starting five beneficiaries. Each get 40000 each, and Baby J's Legacy of Hope each got 40000 each. Remember those kids that we called the future stars that were finalists but didn't get picked? We, we told you on the floor they were going to get $1,000 each on game night we took that times five. And so they got two checks in the mail, and wound up getting 5,000 each, and they weren't even, you know, the the featured kids this year. And so it was just that type of year. And I think some of it is obviously, um, you know, coming out of a pandemic in in the full force, full weekend, no masks, you know, feeling like it used to feel when we would do the Round Ball Classic Celebrity Weekend. Some of it is obviously riding high off the national championship and, and capitalizing on that momentum. But then, you know, the, the, the big, you know, I, I think Difference Maker above all, the big, most uncommon denominator was Bill Self was in the room on Friday night at that celebrity dinner, and you heard the stories he told and how engaging he was up on stage with Greg Ostertag and Sharon Collins and Devontae Graham and Tyshawn Taylor, and his presence just takes everything times 10. So to be able to sit up here and say, yes, we surpassed a million raised all time, but did it over a quarter million in one weekend. Uh, that that blew everything out of the water. And Yeah, I don't know that we'll hit that number again next year. I'm I'm always a bigger and better, you know, break the record year after year. But, I mean, this was a pretty special set of circumstances. We also had a, a chair that Wilt Chamberlain sat in and it autographed. That it's a one-of-one one type piece that we won't have next year to auction off. So I hope we surpass 270 again. But, man, this this was a record-setting year of just – mind-blowing proportions, and we are so grateful for the generosity of everybody that had a hand in it, especially you, my friend.
1: Yep, no, it was such a great event, and uh, we're looking forward to it again next year. I just wanted to get that update out there because uh, I I wasn't sure I heard kind of the final numbers and everything that came this year, so that's awesome to hear. Uh, But again, we had Big 12 Media Days that just occurred earlier this week, um, and and something that I was kind of thinking about with the guys that went down there uh, for KU, you kind of have a cool theme going on with and i don't know how you would term this whether it's you know overcoming a a bunch of adversity or or really showing their true leadership and and in theory you'd like the guys going down there to be leaders but um i think it's more true this year so like for instance Jalen daniels you have a guy who Last year wasn't the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season. And I remember talking to him and him talking about, you know, if I'm not the starter, I'm still going to prepare like it. I'm going to be the best teammate I can. I'm going to be the best guy I can to Jason Bean. And, uh, you know, that's got to be hard, but especially for a guy who's 18 years old to have that kind of wherewithal and everything. And and he was the, the consummate teammate there, stuck through it, obviously kept preparing like he was the starter because, the way that he came into play, it looked like he was doing just that at the end of the season. There, then you have Kenny Logan, who is the guy that was kind of the the pillar when uh, the coaching change happened so late in the season, and you had some guys transfer away, but you know he was such a, a big leader to, uh, you know, accepting that change and, and being a part of the new staff and and helping to be a leader to some of those players sticking around. Then you have Earl Bostick who, you know, we hear about undergoing uh, I think Lance Leipold said like eight different position coaches that he's had something like that a guy who's stuck through all that adversity to stick around Um, I mean Devin Neal is a little less so from that cut of the cloth but you know you're talking about a guy who's from the city of Lawrence and he's obviously been here for a lot of the struggles that the KU football program has had but he wanted to come here and this means so much to be here like I just think of you know, how excited he was and how much that Oklahoma game meant to him that he almost pulled the upset there. And when he scores that touchdown at the, uh, whatever it was, end of third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, whenever that was on the, uh, fourth and goal. And I just think about the leadership and and the pillars and and the foundation that all of those guys are. And that's kind of a cool theme for me between all of the guys that went down to Dallas.
4: Yeah, I I think that's really well said and, and very well summarized to me. You know, in, in some cases, you've got guys that are toward the end of their careers, like uh, Earl, who's been here six years now, and Kenny's getting longer in the tooth. But then guys like Jalen and, and Devin, everything they've overcome, they've, they've still got huge things in front of them. And, and uh, multiple seasons, hopefully, of getting this program, not just to respectability, but to bowl eligibility eventually. And, and maybe that doesn't come right away this year, but by the time Devin Neal has rushed his last carry, cross the goal line for the final time I think he is going to get to play in a bowl game and and I think sometime in the next three years that's going to happen so it's, it's neat to see uh, a guy like him locally that could have gone other places that wanted to, to build up the program that meant so much to him it's neat to see guys like Earl Bostic that have stuck it out through three head coaches and eight positional coaches as you said finally start to uh, experience the fruits of all the labors and, and the uh, transition that he went through and and this guy's excited now. He's not just excited about Lance Leipold. He's excited about Andy Kotelnicki as the play caller. He was telling me that Coach Kotelnicki calls the versatility of our offense a six-headed dragon. Now I didn't finish Game of Thrones. I'm only like five seasons <laughs> in, but maybe that comes up in season eight. I don't know. But, but apparently we're going to be a six-headed dragon. And when he was describing it, his eyes got all big. And Earl did talking to me. So he said, man, you know, we, we can run one play, pass the next. It could be play action. It could be a strict play. It could be a big Earl screen, which made me think of the, the game at the end of last season when they set up a screen for him and the former tight end was able to, to get in to score. And so, you know, he, he's loving leadership across the board, whether it's his O line coach, whether it's Coach Kodelmicki or Lance Leipold. And I think he's a guy that, you know, could, could earn his way into, you know, future pro opportunities as well. Uh, so kudos to him for, for really, uh, you know, working through a lot of transition, not just with, the voices in the coaches' rooms, but even his own positional transition. And then Jalen, to me, is just, he's lightning in a bottle, man. He's, he's finally us cashing in a winning lottery ticket. I'm not trying to make it out to be more than what he is right now, but you tell me, you've been around it for almost the duration of the drought. For the first time in 13 years, like we feel solidly like we've got our guy. And, and I'm talking about since the end of the Todd Reason era. And Carter Stanley became that his senior year, but you didn't feel resoundingly confident heading into that year that, that he found something special. He became that uh, over the course of that final campaign. In, in Jalen's case, it's like, hey, like this could be fun. Like you know, He's going to get a COVID back if he wants to be here uh, for more than, than, than just two seasons remaining. Um, he could be here for three if he wanted to. But here's a guy that's, that's just on the cusp of scratching the surface of his potential. His body is better than it's ever been. He told me he went into the, the lab, as the kids like to call it, and worked with Coach Gildersleeve in, in making him now 220 pounds of rock-solid muscle that will help him withstand you know, the, the pounding that you take in, in 12 weeks of, of major conference football, nine of which in the league, and Kansas this year playing Houston and, and Duke. It's almost like, now, Houston's going to be on the league schedule next year, so it's almost like you're playing 11 major conference games and uh, 11 league games, caliber you talk you know about school's as good as those two. And so you know, to me, you needed to make sure he had fortified his body and put himself in position to, to be out there for the full 12, because you're going to have mix and bumps and you got to play through it. And he took that upon himself as the area number one, above all others to work on. But on top of that, he told me he feels more confident reading defenses he knows where he wants to go with the ball you know before it snapped and, and uh, we saw some of that early in a tenure when Brent Deerman was mentoring him and he was learning the rPO stuff, but I think he's really settled into uh, reading big twelve defenses and coverages and having a more you know established understanding of what's expected of him within his offense so to me that's a guy that has all the natural tools he has the the charisma and the it factor that you want in a leadership role. And now he's getting something that he didn't have his first two seasons, which is, you know, more games logged, more experience, a bigger, stronger, more durable body. And and that to me, you know, sounds like the recipe for success. So hopefully it becomes that for Jalen Daniels. And then, you know, obviously, you know, you talk about a guy like Kenny Logan, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Well, we lost three guys to transfer to SEC schools in the midst of the Les Miles' departure and the three weeks of, of finding the next coach, uh, he was the guy that, that stepped up and said, I'm going to stay. And, and that you know, kept a lot of other guys on board. It, it certainly gave us momentum in solidifying the rest of the roster. And as Coach Leipold said a couple of days ago, in this day and age of, of schools having talent, being pilfered left and right, we didn't lose anybody in our two deep uh, that wasn't to graduation. So anybody that we lost beyond that, you know, wasn't a two deep type player in your immediate depth chart, and so that's that's a great sign that the culture he's building is one that the guys are enjoying being a part of. They want to be a part of something special in terms of the rebuild here. And Kenny Logan saying, "I'm still in," was the first domino in that whole chain coming to fruition, and so I, I'm excited to see him now start to get some of the praise he deserves and, and the spotlight he's been giving it from Kansas PR all along. I mean, if you've watched our social media feeds the last two years, we've, we've kind of exalted him bigger than most guys I've seen in quite a while. Part of that was keeping him happy. So you keep the kid, let's call it like it is, but, but now other folks are taking notes and you, know, you get the preseason all conference accolade. You get some national buzz, with some of the national analysts that we're talking about the other day. And, and I think it's well-deserved, but now you've got to go out and back it up. And, and he seems confident in wanting to do that. so, Uh, Really excited about the four guys we brought and their futures in front of them. And and I love the way you summarized it there, talking about all that they've been through and the leadership that that's produced for Kansas. So, pressure produces diamonds, as they say. And these guys have endured a lot to get to uh, the precipice of now starting to taste regular success. And for me, to have regular success, you have to feel like you've got a chance every week. And that's the one thing I do think we can bank on. There have been plenty of seasons where in my first six years as voice of the Jayhawks, you head into a Saturday thinking, well, you know, we're five touchdown underdogs. How are we going to make this an interesting broadcast in the third and fourth quarters? What storylines can I prepare to make it compelling? Now, under Leipold and having found a quarterback that you feel great about for the first time in, in over a decade, you have that feeling where on any given Saturday, we can compete with anybody. Just look at last season. Not just with the win over Texas, but you know, a game that comes down to the last kick in the last second at TCU, the way we competed at home against Oklahoma and West Virginia. Other than the trip to Stillwater, you felt like we had a chance in every game. And that's a huge, huge difference. And, and once you're able to say that, that's when winning more regularly starts to happen as well. And I think we really are, despite what I said about the toughness of the schedule, I think we really are about to embark on a season where we can start to see and expect more regular winning. And, boy, oh, boy, that's something we've wanted to say for a long,
1: long time. Yeah, and by the way, uh, back to your point on Jalen Daniels, I had Lane look this up for me yesterday. He's the first KU quarterback to be down at media days since Montel Cozart. So you're talking like six years, and for a lot of the teams, they bring their guy down. And uh, boy, did he make a mark with uh, those shoes he was wearing. That was kind of cool. So um, just in terms of you know getting to interact or hear from other media members, whether it's from a national media or guys around the Big 12, what kind of uh, thoughts? What kind of impression do you think KU is making with Lance Leipold around the conference?
4: Well, whether it was you know, some of the ESPN personalities like Ocho or, or uh, you know, Max Olson, the Athletic, I talked to several guys that clearly had respect for Lance Leipold coming in. In Ocho's case, you know, he was up at the Bills organization when Lance was coaching Buffalo, and and uh, saw firsthand across town what was going on up there, and so. You know, excited to hear him speak praise to our coach, but then when he backs it up in his first season at Kansas with the school's first ever win in Austin, and plays as competitively as we played in November, that, that gives these national writers some some real tangible meat to, to point to and write about, and and they weren't shy in making some of those comments. So that was great to hear, and, and that's what you want to see. You know, wasn't it star studded of a, a media day uh, in terms of the the national folks coming in, as you have had previous years when. Fox Sports brought in Reggie Bush and Matt Liner and some of those guys, but of of the Achos and uh, Olson's and uh, you know some of your longtime Big Twelve Barry Trammell type writers, everybody had good things to say. And, and I think our our kids, I call them kids, they're young men. That the four that we picked really represented us well. They said the right things. You know, for all of them, th- this was a, a first time opportunity. I mean, Kenny, you know, had done some Zoom stuff a year ago when the Weather permitted the flight to, to land in Dallas, and so he had to stay home and, and do it over Zoom. But for each of them, this is a big deal. I mean, you're, you're standing at Jerry World on a 50 yard line, wearing a suit, having a, you know 20 microphones in your face, and it's live streamed and all that. And I, I thought they all rose to the occasion, didn't speak in hyperbole, didn't act nervous, acted like they belonged, had, had cautious optimism and very carefully chosen words. I asked Kenny if folks are sleeping on Kansas, tell me why, what should they know? And he said, you know, I I don't want to tell people just yet what they're missing, but they are. He's like, but I'd like to keep it under wraps and just have them wait and see for themselves. And and I thought that, you know, that's the right way to approach it. It, They didn't come in and, 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 you know, just throw huge comments out there. But you you saw a very measured confidence and, and a poise about these guys that I think is reflective of their head coach. Lance is not going to get up there and make promises that his team can't cash. And he's he's not going to get up there and, and, you know, shoot for the moon with what he says from the podium. But you see the measured confidence and and the very noticeable improvement in the way we carry ourselves, the way we do our business, all that. And I think that was absolutely reflected in in the the way those four guys represented Kansas. So really excited for them. I was proud to watch them walking around. And, um, you know, it, it really was, a a day to kind of stick out your chest a little bit and think, you know what, we have started to turn the corner. We haven't arrived by any means, okay? We're still fighting from the bottom up in a league that produced 70% of its schools in bowl games last year, but we are turning the corner, and and we're approaching arrival, and and that's a much different place to be in than what many of our our last few media did
1: he is Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. Brian, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and uh, chatting with me here about everything uh, that we just did. And uh, have a good rest of your weekend, man.
4: Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks to my man Nate Miller of Miller Retirement Group. They were huge contributors to the Round Ball Classic as well. So check them out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. And, again, Derek, really appreciate the role you played and everything we did last month. I'm so proud of you and your career, but also the – the ambassador will be coming for KU as well. So God bless you, brother. We'll
1: talk to you real soon. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.